0: EVIL-11, we have a visual on your position. We have enemy movement 300 meters to your south. Enemy troops in the open. Small arms and RPGs, you are clear to engage. Roger, EVIL-CP. We are TIC. I say again, we are troops in contact, requesting air support. Stand by for call for fire. Solid copy. Troops in contact. Be advised, air is red at this time. Repeat, air is a no-go. You're on your own. Dig in and give them hell, give them hell,
1: give them hell. Welcome to the Dogs of War, hosted by Stephen Houston. What it is, yo. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Relentless Tactical. So Relentless Tactical makes all kinds of firearms accessories from holsters to hoodies. But what they're really known for and what their bread and butter is, is their concealed carry belt line. Personally, they sent me the Ultimate Concealed Carry Leather and the Ultimate Concealed Carry Leather Steel Core gun belts. And dude, if you don't have a nice gun belt, go fucking get one. It's a one and a half inch, 14 ounce premium, full grain, U.S., leather beast and they have a lifetime warranty dude so what's what's better than a badass gun belt made in america for americans with a lifetime warranty nothing go check them out at relentlesstactical.com and let them know dogs of war sent you this episode of the podcast is also brought to you by alpine arms alpine arms is my favorite fucking gun store in the world They're a veteran-owned and operated gun store and training source located in Eagle, Colorado. They specialize in training opportunities from pistol, night vision, tactical medicine, long-range, rifle. And you're getting the Colorado experience. It's in the fucking mountains, dude. What more could you want? All of their instructors come from the military, special operations community, and law enforcement special units. On the retail side, they sell products from Aero Precision. B.E. Myers, Elbit Systems of America, Arsenal Democracy, Nighthawk Customs, Staccato, Opscore, Vortex, and Zero Tolerance, plus many, many more. Let us invest in yourself. Alpine Arms can be found at 50 Chambers Ave in Eagle, Colorado, or online at alpinearms.com. On a more serious note, I wanted to discuss one of my co-workers' son, who was recently in a devastating motorcycle accident. This guy's my brother at work. He's my boss. He takes great care of us. One of the best dudes I've ever worked for. But his son was struck by a vehicle while riding on his Harley and is in intensive care with several broken bones and brain bleeds. They've started a GoFundMe under Matthew Benavidez. Please go and help and support one of my brothers and their family during this trying time. Anything helps, including prayers. I will post a link in the description. All right. My guest today is a Marine Corps infantry veteran. He did multiple deployments on a F.A.S.T. team and is a good friend of mine. After the F.A.S.T. teams in security forces, he served with 3-2 India Company, toward the end of my time there, and went on to serve in law enforcement in multiple capacities. We dive into his life story, as well as his career path during and after the military, and how he healed and successfully transitioned into becoming a civilian. So give it up for the great and powerful Brandon Schneider. And we're live. What's up, buddy? How you doing, Schneider?
0: Great, man. How you been?
1: Oh, you know, just uh, trying to survive in these fucked up times we're living in. How
0: about you? Yeah, about the same, man. It's a pretty crazy world. Yeah.
1: No, dude, I don't think any of us or any of our parents or any of our grandparents, for that matter, have ever lived through anything like what's going on now.
0: No, it's definitely unprecedented, and it's... uh I'm thankful for where I live right now. I definitely appreciate that.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm near Vail, Colorado, so we're out in the middle of nowhere in the Rockies, and the only downside to that is we're by two world-class ski resorts, so on, about now, all the retards are starting to trickle in and, and uh, you know bring COVID from all corners of the globe, so that kind of sucks, but
0: we'll get through it. We had that during the summer with the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally and the fireworks at Mount Rushmore, and... Then the mm-hmm. one time it kind of kills off. Dude, I went to Mount
1: Rushmore. I, so I had a job offer in Washington State from a company that was based in Tennessee, where I'm from. And I drove from Tennessee to Washington State, and uh, we stopped at Mount Rushmore. I was not fucking impressed, dude, especially with having to pay like 28 bucks a person. And like you could pull off off the side of the road, like maybe a couple miles before the actual park. See the exact same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, just a tip for anybody visiting, go ahead and pull off there at that little pull out and check it out. Don't waste your money. I mean, you know, move on. Yeah. I mean, it's cool, but it just wasn't, it's just like the pyramids. It's not like what you have in your mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I kind of like to do like a little lightning round here in the beginning. So
0: what is your favorite everyday carry pistol and caliber? I'm a big fan of the 43X. Okay. I'm a big fan of 9mm. Used to not be uh, big into Glocks, but after carrying Glocks for a while, uh, they've kind of grown on me, and I really like that 43X.
1: Yeah. Is that a double stack, or is that just a single with a longer slide and a little bit bigger grip than the normal 43? a single stack. Single stack, yep. So I used to be a Glock guy. And, you know, I still like a Glock. It's a great duty weapon. It's a great military weapon. I like a little bit more refined. So I'm right, right now, if I'm just going around town or if I'm at work or, you know, local, I carry a SIG 365. I like to double stack the ammo capacity. It's a 9 mil Striker, I put the flat trigger on it. And mm-hmm. it, it comes with night sights. You know, it's got a lot nicer trigger press to me than a Glock, in my opinion. I, I like that. The Glock's real chunky. Yeah. Some people like it. Some people love it. It's a fucking great gun, dude. For work, I carry the SIG uh, 226 Elite. Okay. Decent gun. It's very heavy. When I'm going like on a road trip or if I go down to Denver or you know, if I'm leaving my general comfort zone, I carry a SIG 320 uh, X-Carry. And mm-hmm. I, I fucking love that gun, dude. It's sexy. And it's got the dovetail sight, so you could push it out and put an optic yeah. on it if you wanted to. But it's just a little bigger a little more uncomfortable. And a lot of time, I'm operating equipment or driving a plow truck. So sitting down all day, I like a little smaller print, you know? But Yep.
0: I keep a little LC9. A little Ruger? Yep. A little Ruger for my uh, small oh, sure carrier. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Right on. So, if you could, if, if you only had access to one weapon rifle, shotgun, pistol, muzzle loader, bow, whatever for the rest of your life, what would it be?
0: I'm going to take a, an AR or an M4 just out of the training that I've had with it and experience. My comfort level with it, I, it's kind of a jack of all trades gun, I think.
1: Would you do the rifle or a pistol? Because I always thought I would do like a, a AR 10 pistol. So, you can still concealed concealed carry it if you had to and it's a pistol and you still got the 308 so if you needed to reach out and touch something or you know whatever
0: yeah i think if you if you ran one of those like law tactical uh breakdowns uh, uh, where, where your buffer tube folds over you know that'd be about perfect and you could still run a fairly decent sized uh, rifle
1: i just got well i didn't just get but one of my newest additions is a uh, it's a maxim PDX, and it's mm-hmm. a 5.56. Five, it's like a five-and-a-half-inch barrel AR pistol, dude. It's fucking tiny. And I run a Trigicon RMR on it with a Scalarworks, uh one-third mount. I love that thing, dude. I could head out to 200 yards with it on like a deer-sized steel target. And, I mean, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's not super practical. Dude, it is a cannon. And mm-hmm. so... I was was, was running a uh, dead air Sandman can on the end of it. And with that thing, it's fucking awesome. But when you take that thing off and it doesn't have a muzzle brake, it just has the, the suppressor yeah. adapter. Dude, that thing shoots like two-foot flames out of it. And everybody on the range next to you gets pissed.
0: Yeah, I was running a flaming pig on uh, one of my AR pistols. And nice. just fireballs for days.
1: <laughs> oh, dude, when I first got out of the military, I had an uh, Armalite AR-50. Uh-huh. And my buddy had one, and then I got one. And uh, dude, dad thing, you get kicked off the range after like two, three shots. Or they don't kick you. They say you can't shoot it anymore. I remember, uh, but my buddy had his at the range, and there was two bench rest shooters on either side of them, and they were up away from their weapons and i guess they had left them chambered and on fire and he shot that 50 and both of their rifles went off jesus (laughs) yeah dude that thing's a fucking cannon that'd be a fun time (laughs) yeah what is your morning routine meaning what time do you wake up what things do you do what do you eat what's what's your normal program in the mornings
0: so it varies right now i'm on graveyards so i'm usually getting up around between five and six hang out with the kids for a while before I start getting ready for work, eat dinner when my wife comes home and head to work. 5 or 6 p.m.? Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, usually get into work around 9 p.m. I'm there till about 7 in the morning. Come home, run the kids to school, get some stuff settled, and go to bed. Okay, so
1: why don't you kind of introduce yourself, give a little bit of background, what service you're in, where,
0: you, where you're where you from, just a, just a brief synopsis of... you are so brandon snyder uh was in the marine corps from 2006 to 2011 was in fleet anti-terrorism security team uh fast team and then went to three two where i met sway after that uh i got out didn't really know what to do worked in the coal mines for a while really yeah (laughs) they're open pit out here they're a little different than like west virginia yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: And then I, I really, it was great money. didn't, I was trying, having a hard time finding what fulfilled me, you know, after getting out. And so I uh, went into criminal justice and started working for department of corrections. And then after that, I uh, became a special agent for the state of South Dakota investigating gambling crime. And now I'm a regular police officer here in South Dakota in black Hills of South Dakota. That's pretty much uh, the gist, I guess.
1: Nice nice. where did you why so let me back up a little bit. We'll get into all of that in detail yeah a little, a little further on but what uh, when did you know you wanted to be in the military? Why did you want to be a marine? How did that look?
0: So there's a couple things that contributed to me wanting to become a marine. The biggest thing was my dad was uh, a marine. he retired from the Marine Corps. he was a recon jump master. So I remember as a kid going into work with him, seeing my dad in his uniform, seeing his jump wings, and I got tons of pictures of when he came back from Desert Storm and stuff, and just a lot of good memories of my dad being a Marine and seeing the person he was made me want to go in. And then another thing is 9-11 was a big factor. That made me want to join, not necessarily the Marine Corps, but it made me want to go, and it made me want to be infantry is what I was leaning towards, and so... Ended up going to Marine Corps Infantry. Nice. Where did you go through uh, boot camp at? So I went to boot camp at San Diego because I was from South Dakota. So split the country in half. I went to San Diego as a Hollywood Marine, did SOI out uh, Camp Pendleton, and then went on to it's called BSG, Basic Security Guard School, uh, over in Chesapeake, uh, Virginia. How was your
1: boot camp experience? If you could just sum it up, kind of tell a couple stories and what if it was what you thought it was. I mean, I've never been to San Diego's military
0: installation. Yeah. So boot camp for me was uh eye-opening. I joined when I was seventeen. I graduated a year early from school. I'd have my parents sign for me. So I'm just this young, dumb, naive kid from South Dakota, you know. Go in and you got people screaming at you, and life's kind of crazy. San Diego's kind of different because you, you're right next to the airport. So the whole time you're there, you just see planes taking off and landing and taking off and landing, and you're just sitting there thinking, I could be on one of those fucking planes right now. Get me the fuck out of here, you know? <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty good. Since I was security force, you know, security force are the guys tasked with guarding the president, nuclear weapons, and then FAST team. Drill instructors really liked to... uh go after me for that reason i remember one night i was on firewatch with my buddy and i was like dude i gotta take crap watch for me so i ran into the head sitting there pooping kind of relaxing you know that's your only peace and quiet you can get every once in a while and all of a sudden i hear oh fuck no stand up got fucking shit all on my ass couldn't it wipe drill instructors yelling at me you're gonna guard the president and you can't fucking not take a shit during your fire watch <laughs> it was comical. It was a good good experience. I thought, oh God, nothing can get harder after this, and well, the Marine Corps only got harder after that, you know. What was one of the funniest
1: stories that you remember from uh boot camp?
0: Uh we had this uh kid, uh Chinese kid, Chinese immigrant kid, and uh we were getting ready to do our initial PFT and we're all in formation doing our stretches, you know, where the drill instructor's up on that big stand and we're all in like a circle kind of around him. And this kid's right in front of me. And I just see liquid green shit streaking down the back of his legs as we're stretching. Uh. And those drill instructors swarmed on him. And they were like, how old are you? Oh, 23, sir. And you shit your pants? And it... <laughs> <laughs> it smelled so ripe. the kid shit all over himself they made him finish the pft like that oh my god it was fucking hysterical
1: so moving on did you have any kind of standout behavior like shooting high at the rifle range pugle stay anything like that that you got like a make a phone call or any kind of recognition for
0: uh no i tried to just stay under the radar i was the knowledge recruit prac recruit whatever they called it i for whatever reason could retain stupid bits of information.
1: That was a really good talent of mine like if if they read knowledge to us once I had it for the rest of my life like even to this day I could just retain that knowledge or if I if I could see something like see how to manipulate a weapon or do this or that like I just fucking retained it for for life. I was really good at that. I still have all of that
0: knowledge in my head and I don't know why it it won't leave. Nope, me either.
1: Roger that. So did you graduate as a squad leader, or guide or anything, or you just kind of stayed under the radar and did the, the PRC thing?
0: Just stayed under the radar and that, you know, bided my time. I was never a squad leader or guide or anything like that. Just try to stay under the radar, like I said. Nice. So moving on from
1: San Diego, where was the next stop for you?
0: So the next stop, I went to School of Infantry in Camp Pendleton. All right. In between that, I had some recruiter's assistants because they were behind on uh, schooling there. They had a lot of people coming in. You know, back when we went in, that was the big push. So went to School of Infantry at Camp Pendleton, and that was a lot better than boot camp. You started getting a little more freedom and actually learning your job. Right. And I really enjoyed it. Did you want to be a 0311? So when I joined, uh, one of the things was my dad didn't want me to go to the infantry. He was an intelligence guy who then went to recon. Okay. And he said that if I go to the infantry, I'm not going to have a skill set after I get out. And I said, well... There's a war going on, uh, joining the infantry. So the only condition I could get him to sign off for me was by doing the security force thing.
1: Got that. So wait, wait, say that part again. The only way only way your dad would sign off on it was for, if you did the security forces thing? Cor- correct. So you chose that in infantry or uh, SOI?
0: No. So I, that was when I enlisted. Enlisted. Yeah. Okay.
1: Gotcha. Because you went in a little
0: early. So he's like, hey,
1: unless you do this, I'm not signing off on it. Correct. Okay.
0: So so that's I always wanted to do the infantry, but in order to do that I had to go the security force route,
1: which is probably smart to an extent as far as picking up rank rank and and seeing them you know, showing up to the fleet with a little bit of rank, which is a plus and a minus without like, you know, an Iraq or Afghanistan deployment, I I, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. But gave you time to grow up, mature, get your shit together before going to a Victor unit. So I, I can see the positives of, of both of it. Yeah. So after infantry school, did you have any follow on training for the security forces side of it?
0: Yep. So after infantry school, I went to BSG, which is basic security guard school in Chesapeake, Virginia. And basically that school teaches you. So you do your shotgun qualifications, your pistol qualifications. It basically teaches you how to guard post and take over embassies. And so that's what you do is you're doing CQB and you're doing guard duty. And it's kind of gets you in the mindset of the job of security forces, which, like I said, is broken into three things. You have presidential security, you have PRP, which is nuclear security, and then you have F.A.S.T. Gotcha. So Yankee White is presidential security, if I'm remembering correctly. Correct. Okay, gotcha. And that's what I originally went in as, but once you're at basic security guard school, uh, you can put in for different job if you want. Uh, and so basically, you have the options in there. And if there's enough people to go to Yankee White, because you have to have top secret security clearance before you even get there, right? Which is a process in itself. Yeah, they're calling nuts. people back home, and you know, you got people f- from like elementary school. Yep, and you got to fill out this like I want to say it was like 64 page. Background sheet on every address you've ever had, like everything, man.
1: Yeah, and my buddy's uh was an air traffic controller, and then he went on to do embassy, like MSG embassy yeah. duty. And they called me and were asking me questions about him when I was in three two. I was like, "Yeah, he's a raging alcoholic and he smokes crack." And I'm just <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> that would have been fucked up. Yeah,
0: it's. It's crazy how in depth they go with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I get it. It's some important shit. You don't want just like regular idiots in there, you know? Yep. So,
0: progressing from there, where's the next stop? So, after uh, BSG, I went to uh, Norfolk, Virginia, uh, Camp Allen, and went to first fast, uh, fourth platoon. And In that platoon, I did uh, CQB school, I think I did NBC school there, and then I also did uh, non-lethal weapons, or less-than-lethal weapons school. Nice. Well, they were rebuilding up the FAST uh, companies, so they moved a couple of us to uh, first FAST 6 platoon, so we went and started a new platoon. And then I had to go back through all that training again. So it was probably about a year-long workup before our first deployment. And within there, we did two what we call mini-deployments within the United States. Right. So we did one, Newport News, Virginia, guarding nuclear fuel for an aircraft carrier. What does that look like? Is it like rods
1: or something? I mean, how
0: does that... Yeah, it's like a big metal rod is what it looks like.
1: That's fucking crazy. I don't even understand how that shit works.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. But for us... It was pretty much just guarding everything and just keeping – I don't care if you were the captain of the aircraft carrier. You're not coming past our station without the proper Approval. clearance yet. Yeah. And there was a lot of clearance, and you know, a lot of things went on. And there's some interesting stories in that. Uh, we had a guy – without going into too much detail on how it works. Yeah. You
1: don't have to say names or processes. So, if you...
0: so obviously there's a pool that they keep uh, de- depleted fuel rods in, you know, you ever seen like a movie, they got the pool with all the rods in there and they're trying to keep that cool. Mm-hmm. So it's the same concept as like a
1: nuclear power plant. They're submerged in a certain. Yeah.
0: They're trying to keep the rods cool. Cause once they're depleted, that's where they start heating up and stuff. And that, okay. that's where you have the issues. So our, we had a post up on top of this pool area, and the person up there, we had a guy spit, spitting sunflower seeds. We had one guy shit up there. And anyways, it's got these big doors that open. Well, then that fell into the pool and cost millions of dollars in having to clean that up.
1: From from spitting sunflower seeds in it?
0: Yeah, and someone took a shit up there, and when the door opened uh, it comes down. So, Why would they do that? Like who is shitting that? Because they're dumb marines, you know? Wouldn't you be worried about your butthole getting <laughs>
1: some kind of weird nuclear radiation poisoning well, or some no, shit? So dude? there's
0: like these big steel doors on top of it. Ah. And they, they spread open. Right. And so it had fallen in after the doors opened. So we did they catch Did it, they catch these? Oh yeah, we got hazed for a solid two weeks, man. We had to do figure eights around two aircraft carriers carrying Culligan water jugs and Lysol concentrate and scrub the whole freaking thing. And wow. we didn't sleep in a bed. We slept outside and it was, it was freaking miserable.
1: Well, I bet, dude, that's kind of fucked up. Dookie in on nuclear shit.
0: Yep. So, <laughs> so then after that mission, we went to, uh, Bremerton, Washington, a nuclear submarine had hit an underwater mountain in the Pacific. Underwater mountain. Yeah. So like, just imagine a sub so you ran aground. Yeah. Okay. The captain got relieved. It killed a sailor. Ooh. So we had to go guard those nuclear subs while they were swapping out parts and uh, moving things around in their nuclear fuel and et cetera, et cetera.
1: What? Weapon systems and capabilities you guys have. I mean, is it just Marines with M16s and pistols standing around? I mean, like, what if like a coordinated enemy came with you know greater assets than you guys had? I mean, what
0: what what did that look like? So imagine a infantry battalion, but with forty seven people. Okay. So fast is jack of all trades, masters of none. Right. So fast, you get all the high speed training and a lot of the. The special operations community refers to FAST as fake-ass SEAL team Mm -hmm. because you get a lot of training, but you don't get a lot of missions. Right. It's kind of you're prepared for anything because you're guarding nukes, the president, embassies, things like that. So you're ready for it, but it doesn't usually happen. Uh, So I was a machine gun team leader, even though I'm an 11. So we had 240s, we had Mark 19s, we had 50s. You have just the same things that you'd have in an infantry uh, battalion just down to 47 people. smaller element yeah.
1: yeah wow so any other notable or interesting memories from your time during the fast days
0: well so after those two like i said many deployments in the state side then we went over to the middle east to centcom which fifth fleet is uh based in bahrain manama bahrain and basically our job there for however long we were there months i don't remember the exact time, our job was to respond to any critical incidents within two hours. So you have all your bags packed. You're basically the QRF force for CENTCOM. Right. So we had all of our bags packed and ready to go at all times. There's a couple missions out of there, Iraqi oil platforms, guarding a ships in Oman because some Marine had uh, assaulted a taxi cab driver, so there was protests and stuff. Uh, so we had to do some security out there. We and we trained uh, the Ministry of Interior, which is like their special police force there. And so Oman uh, in Bahrain. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Trained a lot of their guys in close quarters combat, shooting. We would do weapons training with their weapons, P90s, like FN 90s yeah,
1: nice. I've always wanted to shoot one of those. Oh, they, I've never. They uh, are a
0: fun gun. I'll tell you that much.
1: Oh, dude, that that round. Yep. I mean, that's going. That's going through pretty much any body armor that uh, that I can think of. Yep. Even level four shit ain't touching that. You know what I mean? Yep.
0: We did some that's five security details as well. MP5Ks is what was used on those. Nice. I like MP5s. I mean, for up close, yeah. concealable, short range, ready to go, urban. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a high rate of fire if needed, but just compact, no recoil. They're, they're, they're a blast to shoot.
0: And, and so that was probably the nice thing about FAST is you're such a small unit. So we got to work with uh, the SEAL team out of there, SEAL Team 3. And we got to do a lot of training with those guys. I went through explosive uh, training, breachers course with them. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, that was one thing I loved about FAST is you got to do some fun stuff. Uh, and I had one of the best officers I've ever had in that unit. Uh, he got relieved halfway through because our stupid boot comms guy said he was hazing us. Fucking pussy. Yeah. And so, but still to this day, I, I freaking love that officer. He's a freaking bad dude. First uh, time I saw him when we were out in the field, I saw a tattoo. He's, he got shot in Ramadi and he's got a tattoo around his, the bullet hole. He, nice. He's a freaking bad mamma jamma. Ah. But yeah, so we, we responded to different incidents out of there and came back, and then it was on to the fleet. How
1: was, uh, how was that transition? Did you have any kind of say on where you wanted to go or like a wish list, or did they just send you wherever the fuck they wanted?
0: So I requested to be sent to the next deployable unit. Gotcha. And there was, I think, four of us that got sent to 3-2. Everybody else got sent to six Marines and 8th Marines. And what year did you get to 3-2? 2009. Oh,
1: so you came right before the Mew. Yep. Gotcha.
0: Did that bum you out? Absolutely. So, ev- like I said, only four of us went to 3-2. Everybody else that Who, I was with— Did
1: anybody else come to India Company that was with you?
0: Uh, Stell. He was in a different platoon, but Stell did.
1: Fucking Stell,
0: dude. Good that old guy, elephant. He just hit me up the
1: other day, dude. He just got out of jail. He's been in there for 28 months for a double murder. Jesus. And he got, he got found not guilty crazy fucking story dude I'll I'll uh, I'll share you I'll send you the link but he's uh talking to his lawyer to see if he can come on and do the podcast with me and talk about it but apparently he was riding in the car like he, I I don't want to go, go into it too much but yeah, they were doing not, they were doing shit that they shouldn't have been doing and somebody these two guys stole some from them and Stell and one of his friends picked him up I guess one of the Stell was driving one of the guys that stole was passenger seat front his buddy was in the rear, and the other guy was in the rear, and the dude just fucking smoked him with a pistol while he was driving. Jesus. And then they, uh, yeah. And then at that point, I guess, you know, he's like, do what I gotta go along. Cause this dude just smoked two people, and like they took the car, burned it with the bodies in it, and. He said he got locked up for twenty eight months and uh, he was found not guilty and uh he's he's trying to get a lawsuit going, and I was like, dude, I'd just fucking leave that shit alone, maybe move away. <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah. don't poke the bear don't poke the bear." But he's going for it, so I don't know. I'm going to try and get him on and have him tell his story. I always I always liked him.
0: Oh, Stel can tell stories. I saw Stell not oh. too long ago uh, down in Myrtle Beach. He's also been up, up here in South Dakota, and I've seen him up here, too. He was working for some power line company or something, running, hmm. running cable.
1: Yeah, I think I remember that. I think I remember that. Yeah, dude, he's an uh, interesting dude, funny motherfucker, dude. I love him.
0: You'll, and just, you'll have to ask him about – he was telling me he uh, one night he got drunk and – thought he was going into his own apartment, went into somebody else's apartment and cops woke him up and tased him. And <laughs> Oh God. Yeah. He always did a lot of shit like that.
1: Yeah. He, he can <laughs>
0: get himself into some situations. That's for sure. So, uh, talk, take
1: us to how you got to the fleet and what happened? Like, you know, as soon as you got there, what was it like? Just give us that rundown.
0: So I had just gotten married not too long before I got to the fleet. When I showed up, you know, obviously when you show up to your new unit, you're in alphas and everything. And so I go up and 1st uh, Sergeant Collier sees me. And he's like, oh, shit, it's Snyder. 1st Sergeant Collier was that fast.
1: Yeah, didn't he do 20 years in the infantry and never had, like, a Iraq deployment? He was kind of yes. dodging
0: around from something, place to place? Something like that. Well, he right. saw me and he knew me from fast. So he's like, you're coming to India Company. So we walked up to Battalion Sergeant Major's office and – He's like, hey, Sergeant Major, I'm taking this one. He's like, all right. So I went to India Company. So 1st Sergeant Collier said, all right, you're going to be in 2nd Platoon. Go ahead and check in with your platoon commander. So I go down to the company office, and who's sitting there? Lance Corporal Butler. Oh, God. Smedley. (laughs) So good old Smeds is a platoon commander at the time, because there was no officers or NCOs. I mean, you guys were just doing what you wanted i can't believe
1: he was acting platoon commander
0: yeah so when i checked in butler's like all right here here's where you're going so i just freaking stood outside on the catwalk for a while and met up with uh happy and dodie was like hey guys what's up and they slammed the door on my face i was like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> but you know after a while i grew into second platoon and learned to love them and they learned to love me i hope got along i still talk to everybody i was just uh, playing video games with happy earlier
1: nice yeah i uh so i i don't have a playstation i'm into i game on my pc and i'm real into it i've got like a fucking 4000 dollars gaming rig and the other uh, i guess it's been a month or two month month and a half now my buddy hit me up and he's like hey nvidia is about to release the 3080s and the 3090 video cards and I've got a 2080 TI Founders Edition, and a year ago I paid like $1,400 for it. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the new card that's almost twice as good as this one is selling for like $700 brand new. And I'm like, fuck, dude. And he's like, yeah, I already sold mine like weeks ago. And I'm like, dude, thanks for fucking telling me. So luckily, I was able to sell mine to a kid for $800. Bucks. Couldn't believe it. I mean, it was unheard of. So I did that, and then I bought like a $40 piece of shit card. I can't even run Call of Duty on my PC, so it's a bummer. And and the the launch of those new video cards got botched. Like yeah. bots bought them all. You can buy them on eBay, but you're going to play double what they're supposed Absolutely, to cost. Yeah. And so I'm just waiting right now to get back in the, in the gaming scene. But I've seen – since I've been out, I've seen Butler. He randomly came to – to Vail for a ski trip, and I was working there, so I took them out and around. Oh, nice! And I saw Bush on a road trip with my wife when I took her to Tennessee and Florida to go meet my f- family. And then uh, Davis came. I can't remember. I don't think he spent a night with me. I think he just came down and spent the day with me when I lived in Tennessee. Okay. And um, who else? I think that's it. I think that's uh, that's it. But I, you know, I talk to everybody and shit like that. But it's a weird thing when everybody gets down. It's like getting out of high school. Everybody just scatters, you know?
0: Yep. I've seen uh, Jones and Easley. Saw them when I went down to Mississippi for work. How is Jones? Stickbug, right? Yeah, he's, he's I good, g- man. I gave him I gave a, him that nickname. He's a cop down in uh, Mississippi. He's actually now a Navy cop.
1: Oh, wow. Good for him. I went to boot camp with Butler, I think. I think he was in my platoon, if I'm remembering okay. correctly. Him and then Briggs was in my platoon, too.
0: Oh, dude, I miss Briggs. I haven't seen that guy in years yeah i haven't
1: seen or heard from him either i heard he had some really fucking weird like rare strain of cancer i don't know i'm sure he's fine now but i just i think it was from you know those burn pits and shit that we were all around and but so anyways um you get the three two get the door slammed in your face how does it progress from there
0: so i came in as lance corporal but i was ready to be promoted i had the the score and so when we were out in the field, I can't remember what was going on. The, the senior lances were making everybody, you know, low crawl and pick up trash or do something. I was on the ground picking up trash with everybody else, you know? And so then they called all the team leaders in and, you know, first our Collier goes around and he's like, I want everyone to say your name because they were accusing us of, of, of hazing. And so it gets to me and I was like, Snyder's like, I got a freaking promotion warrant on my desk for you. Yeah, that sucks. (laughs) And I think after that, everyone was like, all right, Snyder's pretty cool. (laughs) I didn't throw anyone under the bus. I didn't say, you know, I was the one on the ground low crawling, you know. Right. And and after that, you know, got along with everybody and did our work up and did the Mew, which was fun. And then uh, after the Mew, I went to Haiti. Did that? Were you there for Haiti or did you get out by then?
1: I had to go to Sarps, so I wasn't able to go okay. on that run all
0: all the way. I started to we and then uh, I had to go go back and go to Sarps, okay, so yeah, so we went down to Haiti, did that mission. I had just had a kid and immediately left, so I was a little disgruntled. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, we get back, and I was wanting to you know find something to keep myself busy for the last uh, little bit of my uh, service. And they decided to fuck me and send me to be a coyote out at CACS. Did Gibson go with you out there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we went out there for about, I think I was out there for six months before I got out. Fuck. Being a coyote and couldn't bring your family with you. You got paid out the ass because you got per diem and all that stuff. But it sucked because I just had a kid, went to Haiti. I just got back from deployment, had a kid, then went to Haiti, and then went and did cax so uh, you know i think by the time my son was a year old i'd maybe seen him a couple weeks damn that sucks dude
1: no do you remember me getting switched to the second platoon
0: Yeah, somewhat uh (laughs) it was during the mew i think you might have lived in the other birthing yeah so i was was in the birthing with uh all the other sergeants and stuff
1: oh i got you
0: i was in the team leader birthing for a little while and then since i was the only corporal they were like you you need to come uh, be with the other ncos because they said i was palling around with like clouser and jones too much
1: dude it's crazy when when we got back from alkheim i was a, they made me a squad leader as a lance corporal and i was fucking crushing it dude every mm-hmm. the battalion commander knew my name would run ranges with me the whole the whole thing he fucking they, i was crushing it and then we got a bunch of uh, boot lieutenant drop And uh, I started butting heads with one of them and then uh, a certain sergeant and, and then they fired me and then they kind of put like a target on my back. It was like page 11s for every little thing. And I was like, fucking, I'm done, dude. And I'm done. Yeah. But you know, looking back, I regret it. I regret that. I wish I could change it, but we were fucking kids and you know what I mean? And uh, if I would have stayed on that path, you know, I should have picked up and, and, and done that. I actually got my corporal promotion in the mail right after my terminal leave ended. Yeah, isn't that funny how that works? <laughs> yeah, no, I got two NJPs on the Mew. One of them was legit. Me and Bradford snuck off the boat, got wasted, and got I in a remember fight with that. senior. Yeah. So then I did my extra duty. I went the whole rest of the deployment, not getting off the boat, didn't get in trouble. Everything was good. Was that the same then, time
0: that uh, Gunny Madden and Gunny Oofneck got in trouble?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that was the time that they were late getting back and jumped a fence and basically broke onto a naval base and then compound fractured both of his legs and nothing happened to them. But I got NJP'd and fucked over.
0: Well, I saw Gunny Madden when we got back stateside and my wife was in the hospital giving birth. No shit. Gunny Madden comes walking. I always always liked him. Yeah, he came walking down in crutches and I was like, oh, Gunny Madden, what's up? He's like, yeah, I made a bad, bad decision.
1: (laughs) Dude, so it wasn't the same night because once I got in trouble, like the so it was a group of senior chiefs in the Navy. I was already beyond belligerent at this point, and there's no really talking me down from that. Sure. And I get brought up to the to, to the tack log, and there was this big uh, the, the, the platoon sergeant for the tankers. He was a big, giant black dude, glasses, really nice guy, but he, he was jacked and uh. He was like, sit the fuck down. I'm like, I'm not sitting down, dude. I was calling him, dude, just standing up. I was fucking pissed. He's like, sit the fuck down. I'm like, I'm not sitting down, bro. Not happening, you know? And then I, I got tired of standing up, and I was like, hey, man, I'm sitting down because I want to, not because you told me to. Yeah. <laughs> right? So then they send me. They're like, all right, go back to your fucking birthing. Go to sleep. We'll deal with this tomorrow. Go straight to your birthing. So, of course, I got to stop in the internet center on the way down, get on the computer, start talking to my ex-wife. And then uh, Bradley Sergeant Bradley was in there, rest in peace. Love and he was guy. like, "Hey, yeah, yeah." And, and unfortunately, I think he didn't like me towards the end because of my behavior, and I kind of regret that. But whatever, it's not not here nor, nor there. And he's like, "Hey, man, you gotta gotta get off computer, dude. Go to your room, you know." And I'm like, "I'm I'm like, bro, like man to man, sorry, but I'm not. I can't. I'm arguing with my my wife at the time." Over email. Yeah. And uh he so and then there was this pogue-ass pussy gunnery sergeant. He's like, How about I'm a gunnery sergeant? Get off the computer. And I was like, How about I don't give a fuck? Get out of my face. <laughs> right. So then they leave, and like two minutes later, here comes uh Gunny Madden and Gunny Oofneck. Both of them I love and respect. I hate that this happened, but they tell me to get off the computer, and I'm like, I'm not getting off the computer. And fucking Gunny Madden, like, rear naked chokes me and, like, pulls me out of the chair, dude. And I turn around and I, like, shoved him by his, like, on his chin. Like, fucking shoved him. And then we squared up and started, like, charged at each other. And I think Gunny Oofnet grabbed him and somebody grabbed me and separated it. And I'm glad it didn't progress past yeah. that. But it was, it was like, a, the next port, he fucking snuck onto the base and broke his legs. And, you know, but- I don't know what ended up happening with that, but...
0: Your whole that, that, thing pretty much describes Second Platoon.
1: Yeah, and then so I got moved to Second Platoon against my will. They were
0: probably that, like, you know what, your actions fit perfectly with Second Platoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, and I love Second Platoon. It was nothing like that, but it's like I wasn't with those dudes like I was with. Oh yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. So you're like you're going from people, everybody you know and love to. You know, people you love, but I haven't been with them for four years at this point. And yeah. you know, me and Staff Sergeant Baker started Buttonheads. We we used to get along before that, and then he and would me over some bullshit. And yeah, I would just you know, I wish I could go back and and change a bunch of things, but I can't. So the only way I can help going forwards with this podcast, yeah, and I'm, enjoy- I'm I'm enjoying doing it, so. But, uh, so did you, did you go to Afghanistan with three, two after 2000, what was it? 2011?
0: Nope. So I did their CACs though. I was their instructor before they left. You were a coyote at that time? Yeah, I was a coyote then. Nice. So I was going to reenlist, but when we were, when we were in Kuwait, Lieutenant Skillman wouldn't let me call my wife at some point. I can't remember when it was. Uh, I had all my reenlistment package ready to go to go to HET. Nice. 90 grand tax-free if I signed the papers when we were in Kuwait, man. What What do you mean he wouldn't let you use call the wife? You couldn't just walk to the phones and do it? So when we were on ship at some point, uh, oh, he wanted, oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. wanted to let me call my wife to figure out the gender of my first kid. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is the most petty bullshit ever. And I never
1: liked that dude. I, he's like a little girl. Okay. He came in with all the other fucking douchebag ones. The only ones out of that group that I respected was Paige, kind of, yeah. and uh, the XO. I can't remember his name. That dude was a handsome fucking dude. The tan guy that was wearing like the three-inch long silkies, and yeah. he was jacked. Yeah. What's his name?
0: Uh, I can't remember. Something. We called him the sexo. Oh.
1: Yeah. The, what was his name, dude? Uh, I don't Galmato or something?
0: Something. Fuck, what is his name? Uh anyways. But yeah, so yes. I just got real Seglum. Seglum. Yeah. It was seglum. That's it. I just got real disgruntled and I was like, you know what? Do I want to do this for another twenty years? And I was like, I'm done. I wasn't really looking forward to getting out. Uh all I ever wanted to do was be a Marine and stay in, you know? But yeah. all the all the bullshit had just uh I kind of got fed up with it.
1: That's the thing, dude. Like that leadership and beyond from that time forward. Just really ruined like a lot of good Marines, dude. If I if there would have been a leader, I, I bet you if Gunny Ufnick would have been my sergeant. Oh hell yeah, or my, pl- or my platoon sergeant, he would have fucking yoked me up, fucking slapped me in the face, and got my shit together. But when you start doing paperwork on me, dude, then I'm gonna be more and more belligerent. Like they just they they just it's I don't know, man. That 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 style of leadership, like the pussy NJP and people page elevens for fucking wearing white socks, and yeah. that's not. That, that ain't it, and um, unfortunately, that's what killed the, the morale and, and pushed a lot of good leaders and Marines out,
0: I, I think. Well, and so that's the thing. Like I was saying, I had an officer in F.A.S.T. that was just freaking awesome, so I went from that then to Skillman, and I was it sucked. because So the officer that we had in F.A.S.T. was a freaking, like I said, he's a bad mamma jamma, and I guarantee you any person in that 6th platoon to this day if he called us and was like, "Hey, I need you to go head first into that fucking machine gun fire," we're all doing it. Yeah, like he was an awesome leader. And then, you know, I think I think the leadership in three two really did kill a lot of it. And
1: 100 percent.
0: The other thing was, so I got hurt when I was in fast. We had a V bid going on, and I was up in a machine gun post, and I. Stepped backwards and fell about two stories out of machine gun post, and sli- oh my god, sliced my arm open and hit my head off a generator. Well, I didn't find out till years later that I have a spinal cord injury from it, which was causing all my pain. You know that my back was hurting all the time and stuff like that. You know the infantry catches up with you, carrying them packs and
1: oh, dude, I've got two herniated discs in my lower back and you know a host of other joint issues and inflammations and cracks and pops and i mean it's just not natural
0: yep so i have spinal stenosis and malopathy and just a whole bunch of issues with my spinal cord so you know it's probably a good idea that i left i would have loved to stay in but i'm loving life now dude i get to oh, come home to my family every day it's freaking sweet
1: yeah everything happens for a reason you know i've I wish that I would have stayed in or at least extended and gone to Afghanistan with those guys because yep. to me personally, that was like one of the hardest things ever to sit at home and, and every couple of days or every few weeks, get a call. Did you hear about so-and-so? And yep. I mean, that was just, yep. that was fucking awful, dude. That was, I, you know, I don't
0: know. That was super
1: rough. Yeah. That's definitely
0: a big regret I have. Would you do it all over again? Absolutely. Would so, you do it the same way or would you do it different? I do it the same way, man. The experience made me who I am today. So when I I used to be, when I worked for Department of Corrections, I was a a counselor and I used to tell, I worked in the juvenile division. So juvenile delinquents who had been there for, you know, stabbing people or skipping school or whatever they were there for. I used to tell them, like the guys who wanted to go into the military, I say, listen, if you want to hate your life every single day and be miserable every single day and just Everything sucks, but be the most proud and the hardest, dude. Go to the Marine Corps. Anything right. else, pick a different branch. Because you're going to hate life every single day. But you're going to be proud uh-huh. that you hated life, and you're going to learn from it. And that's what I think about my Marine Corps experience is like, dude, it sucked. And you know, there was times we were like, dude, what the fuck are we doing? It's three in the morning. It's fucking raining out here. Why are we haven't we turned in weapons? What the hell's going on? Well, in a lot of it, the i going to show up.
1: Yeah, a lot of it too is that they didn't tell us why we were doing what we were doing. If they would have just explained to us the backside of it and the big picture, we would have been like, oh, okay. And that's the thing, dude. Like, if once you pick up sergeant and then you get into staff sergeant and above, like, you can pretty much do what you want to do, wear what you want to wear. You're in charge. Yeah. The experience has got to be totally different. Yeah, you're still out in the field and cold, but I mean, you can wear whatever you want. You can set the fucking parameters. Like, I think once you get to that level is where it really starts to change. Like after your second enlistment and I kind of, if I could go back, I would probably do it all over again. And I would have went through, I would have pushed to go to sniper school harder than I did Yeah. because I got in trouble. I went and talked to the platoon commander of stay and, uh, you know, Gunny Ufnack thought I went over his head, and then he was like, you're never going to go to sniper school, blah, 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 and it just so it was I, a
0: shitty— I got offered to go to sniper platoon before we went on the Mew uh, because they needed NCOs. Right. So they took all of us NCOs. Battalion commander came and talked to us.
1: Who was the battalion commander for that deployment? Carroll? Captain Carroll was the company commander. Who was the battalion commander?
0: I, I don't remember
1: now. I don't either.
0: Who I want I, to say Ful-
1: Colonel Fulton. Ful- yeah, Fulton? Fulford. Fulford? And he might have been – yeah, yeah, yeah. That was him because I remember him running ranges with me. He kind of looked like General – or he looked like uh, uh, Mad Dog a little bit. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So he he brought – I think at the time there was only four NCOs in the entire company. So he brought all of us in and only two of them accepted to go to stay I decided not to because I was like, you know, if we're going to go downrange, I'd rather be a door kicker. Right, and that's just kind of the mindset that I had. Uh, snipers never really interested me much.
1: I, I always wanted to go through the school. I uh, it's something that even to this day, dude, I love shooting. I love doing long range shooting and that kind of stuff. You know, I ran a gun store for a while out here. Had a good time, and I just I love guns. I love shooting and doing all that. I just regret that i never got a school slot
0: yeah i'm i'm the guy that's uh i'm the window licker man i'm (laughs) i'm not smart enough to be doing the math and stuff just point aim shoot let's go right you know
1: so um take us to you transitioning to a civilian how how did that go and how did that make you feel
0: so I guess before I get into transitioning to a civilian, a couple things that affected me as I was transitioning is, so in F.A.S.T., the first person I ever saw die were doing a close ambush training, flipped a Humvee, and crushed my buddy Jeffrey Webb, killed him. Damn. His head got crushed under the hum- Humvee. He was in the turret. How the fuck did they flip it? I mean, what happened? So there's a long backstory, man. Uh, basically, one of the guys who was driving was on drugs. And we didn't know it at the time. Bro,
1: when we went through Humvee school, there was dudes smoking weed in the back of a
0: fucking Humvee I was driving. And then they had to get up front and drive. Yeah. Not naming names, but. Yep. So that's kind of what happened. Lost control, driving too fast, flipped it. And, you know, at the time, we didn't have up armor. We had soft, um, soft Humvees, no up armor. After the fact, we magically got up armored. It took someone to die for us to get armor. Yeah. But, uh, so Jeff, Jeff got crushed. Man, I remember, and this took a long time for me to get comfortable even talking about it. But remember, pulling pouring the blood out of his helmet, and it was just it was a real fucking rough experience. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as a young guy, and then like you said, with three two not going to Afghanistan every day, hearing fucking Brad well, like Bradley really ate me up, dude. I was. I was good friends with Bradley Yeah, Jones fucking bumming, bumming Marlboro Reds from Jones, dude. I remember, like all those guys, Jones and Jabari and Jabari. Yeah, dude. Fucking Kessler. Well, he didn't, I mean, you know, not yep. everybody
1: that we're naming passed away, but we we're, yep. were severely injured and,
0: you know, and I had guys from fast who had gotten fucked up too. Walters got killed doing his rip, uh, you know, just all that, you know, starts to add up when you think about those things. Hey what could I have done differently? What, you know, and I was just kind of beat myself up real bad when I first got out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that survivor's guilt, like, Oh fuck, why didn't I go with
1: him? That's the best term for it is survivor's guilt. And, you know, hindsight's 2020. 20. It's completely normal to have those feelings, but you got to realize that everything happens for a reason. And you know what I mean? It wasn't our time. And that's just, you know, that's just it.
0: Yeah. And, The one thing that kinda opened my eyes was I had this guy say to me like, Dude, what if you did go and you made the situation worse? Right. Like he's sitting there telling me and at the time it fucking pissed me off. But thinking back on it now I'm like, you know, that that's a good point. I can't what if the scenario. You know, what if grasshoppers had machine guns, birds wouldn't fuck with them? (laughs) Right. You know. I I had to stop what ifing the scenarios and just, you know, live my life and you know, in honor of them and do my do everything to the fullest and live the life that they couldn't have so exactly I, so when i got out i went to i told clauser that you remember Celo, right of course yeah so me i told Celo, i was like dude i'm nervous about going home because i got two options i'm either going to go work in the coal mines or i'm going to be a cop and so the first thing i get back i applied to like 30 jobs nobody would hire me i get hired on at the coal mines So I go work. What were you doing there? So I worked in the warehouse, issuing the explosives and uh, trucks and everything, you know, just running the warehouse basically. Gotcha. Taking in shipments. And we're talking the world's largest dump trucks. I mean, you're talking.
1: Oh, massive, dude. I'm a heavy equipment operator yeah. and those things are f- my shits like matchbox cars compared to that.
0: Yeah. We're talking big, big time. Like when I was taking in explosives, I had to get an ATF license and stuff. And you're talking insane amounts of explosives. So I did that for a little while. You know, I was struggling with the survivor's guilt. I was struggling with what I want. I had no sense of purpose, you know, when when I was in the Marine Corps, I had a purpose. I, my job was to be an infantryman and when they freaking let me off the leash, I, I went, you know. And then you get into the civilian world, and it's like, well, what do I do now? I'll go do this job, you know. So I went yeah. and did that and didn't find any purpose in it. So I left and went to uh Department of Corrections for South Dakota and, and juvenile corrections. And I became a wellness instructor. So it used to be a boot camp. So it's kind of like a drill instructor. I did the PT and the IT sessions and all that stuff do some some classes and stuff with the youth and then eventually I became a counselor and you know taught them about proper thinking and dealing with your emotions correctly and at the time I was going through my own stuff and a lot of the stuff honestly helped me quite a bit nice why do you think there's so much issue with suicide and addiction
1: in the veteran family
0: I I want to say the biggest thing I think is when you leave, you lose that sense of purpose, that sense of brotherhood. You're on your own and you, de- you don't have anything going on. You know what I mean? Uh, you yeah. don't have anything to push you forward and keep because, you know, when we were in shit, you remember being on a hump and you're like 15 miles in and you're hating life. Well, you still had your guys pushing you or you had that in the back of your head. Like, there's a reason I'm doing this. You lose right. all that. And so I think a lot of guys just lose that support, lose that brotherhood. Whether we hated each other or not, I'll give you a good example. So me and Doc Rich, you remember Rich? Yeah. So he was one of our corpsmen in 2nd Platoon. So I used to call him Doc Bitch.
1: Yeah, I still call him that.
0: Motherfucker threw a laptop away of mine. Me and him used to get into some shit. And, well, I don't know if you were there, but when we were out in Kuwait, me and Doc Rich, fucking, we were at each other's throats. And. Sergeant Atkins is like, you know what? Let's fucking take it out. So we marched outside the wire and bare knuckle boxed, fist fight MMA style dude in the middle. Really? Of the, oh, yeah. The, him? Yep. Me and Rich. And I beat the fuck out of Rich. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a mark on me. But I will say this he won because he got me in a chokehold. And oh, then the, the next day we're walking through the Quonset hut and Lieutenant Skillman sees Doc Rich and his eyes are black and blue. He's all fucked up. Skillman's like, what happened? Doc, and Doc's like, uh, I fell down some stairs. <laughs> and after that, dude, I was like, I fucking love you, Rich. Like, there's no fucking stairs. We're in the fucking desert. Right. You know? And that was a brotherhood. Even if you didn't like each other, you could get over it. You could throw a few fists and fucking move on with your day.
1: Yeah. No, I was going to say, dude, like, you could get in a fist fight with your best friend and then be taking shots with him half hour later, you know? Like, that's exactly. going to be expected, dude. You're living three to a room that should be one person in there in a bunk bed, sharing one shower and one sink, doing literally everything together in the most miserable circumstances possible. Like there's going to be tension, but I think that's why the Marine Corps is a lot different than all the other branches and why we're so tight because of the shit that we go through, the type of training and all that. And dude, I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know what I mean? But yeah, Doc Rich was living with another corpsman, Adara? I can't remember. No, it was uh the guy with the Subaru, the real fast Subaru. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name, his name. What was his name? I forget. I know who you're talking he had, about, though. Yeah, that was, white like a, Subaru.
1: I think it was white. I can't remember. It was ridiculously fast, though. And so he was helping me work on my S2000, and they lived together. And I had some of my shit over there. And uh, I don't know if they had to move out or what happened, but... So he just threw my fucking laptop in the garbage. Didn't say it well, And he knew I'd been over there and leaving car parts and doing shit. And I had all my de- pictures from deployments on there, dude. And I, I have nothing. So I never forgave him for that. Yeah. But yeah, that kind of pissed me off.
0: Well, and, uh, the, and that's the thing is like, you know, then we, when you had shit, you fucking confronted each other on it. You know what I mean? Oh, it's a
1: lot different than being a fucking civilian. When you become a civilian, hussies, dude. nobody
0: knows their place. You show up nope. and it, you knew your place in the Marine Corps, right? You, di- you didn't walk up to a fucking lieutenant colonel and be like, fuck you, bitch, you know? You, you knew your place. You knew what your job was. You knew what you had to do. And going into the civilian world, you didn't have that. And I think a lot of guys just, you know, I think the podcast thing, dude, it's good to talk about it. That was the biggest thing for me. Like dealing with the, the stuff I was dealing with was talking. I, I talked to someone who I I knew nothing about. I They didn't know me. They didn't know any of my friends. And I just, dude, I I broke down one day and just put it all on this poor, sorry person. And yeah. it felt good. And I was like, all right, I'm good to go, man. I got that off my chest. And this fucking person was probably like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> you, know, you know, but...
1: Well, and that's the thing, like with this podcast dude, everybody that's come on has told me, "Dude, that was awesome. I love talking about all that shit, and some people realized that they were mad at stuff that they thought they had gotten over, and they had to revisit it, and then they it made them you know get over it and it's just really hard getting people to come on and trying to branch out outside of you know my friends and people that I serve with, like I want to get other generations, I want to get other branches, I want to get You know, and it's just it's just it's just going to take time and consistency when you reach out to famous people that are veterans and they see you only have 11 episodes and they're like, "Eh," you know what I mean? So I'm just going to fucking keep on keeping on.
0: Hell yeah, dude. And let me tell you, you know, after this is all done, I'll uh, try to hook you up with some people. Yeah, dude, anybody,
1: anybody's, you know, appreciated for and if sure. if you
0: want to talk to someone of a, a different generation, you know, my old man, I'm sure I can get him to jump on there. He's a 20-year yeah. recon Marine, you know. Oh, yeah, that'd be huge. Combat action and everything, so he's, he's good nice. to go.
1: So moving on from, you you get out, you go to work at the corrections facility, so you're a counselor the whole time there?
0: So I was, a, I was like a wellness instructor for a while and then a counselor. Mm. They were having some em, employment issues, morale issues with their employees. So I was, you know, I, I liked the job. I, I just... It wasn't the career for me, I guess. So after that, I became a special agent for the state of South Dakota and did criminal investigations. And I did that for uh, four or five years, doing uh, basically ga- gambling. So, like down there in Colorado, you guys got like Black Hawk and Black uh, Hawk. Yep. And Cripple Creek. So I did. Uh, basically any, you know, kind of casino crimes, theft, uh, taxes, things like that. Uh, So went through the the basic law enforcement academy in South Dakota and did all that. Uh, And then uh, with all the recent drama going on in the world and the hate against law enforcement, I decided I was going to go back to being a regular cop. I was a deputy before the the gaming thing, but I decided, you know, a regular cop, that's where uh, the need is right now. And with the way the world is, that's where I'm going. So, I went back to a regular police department, and now I'm uh, back to a regular patrolman.
1: How how is it out there? Is it pretty hot intense? Is it laid back? Like, how do you describe the your your area of operations?
0: So, so the area I work in is very very busy during the summertime.
1: With the with the bike rallies, yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: so, I so we got tourism, you know, and you got millions of people coming in. Uh, weekly so weekly
1: million millions weekly
0: oh absolutely what uh, fuck it's uh so you got mount rushmore you got crazy horse you got deadwood you got custer you got the custer. battlefield yeah you got all that stuff the black hills yep and so there's just tons of people all summer long and then wintertime is just dead yeah it, it slows down quite a bit in the wintertime it's an interesting job it's
1: fun any notable experiences or kind of hairy situations that you can talk about
0: uh, there, there's a lot of things I I don't want to talk about them just for the sake of liability and gotcha. all that stuff. But, you know, I will tell you this, that I think you deal with a lot more emotional things as a police officer than you did in the Marine Corps. Cause in the Marine Corps, when you deployed, that's yeah, pe- not where you live. Yeah. You don't know all those people, you know, every day when you're dealing with something as a police officer, you know, those people, uh, whether you don't know them personally, that, that's your community. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a little different. And I think police officers also need to talk about things just like veterans. And, you know, you, you can't just bottle that stuff up as we've learned. You you got to talk about it. You got to find a, uh, an outlet, you know, whether that be tying flies, do playing video games, doing podcasts, you know, you got to find something productive to keep your, keep your mind going, you know?
1: Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. and, and, you know, what I tell people is, is you got to set small goals first. If you, you you realize that you're fucked up and you want to change, you say, all right, I want to, I want to get up and uh, 20 minutes earlier tomorrow. Dude, that's a fucking accomplishing a goal. If that's yep. a goal you set yep. and you do baby steps. And then after a couple of weeks, you're like, holy fuck, I've done all this shit. And then you keep compounding it, compounding it, compounding it. And, uh, you know, it grows from there, but diet, Diet is huge substance abuse cutting that shit out is huge absolutely you know, exercise like that's where I tell people to start like fucking change your diet eat healthy organic whole foods stop drinking I mean maybe a beer every night one or two beers okay that's better than a twelve pack yeah. that's a that's a place to start you know start there and then and then start back to the gym you don't have to run you don't have to do push- ups you can just do a normal you know, uh, circuit type uh, weightlifting regime or program. And and that's the best place to start. But I found that doing that, joining clubs like the shooting clubs local or, you know, getting into a group that skis together or just whatever, you got to get a group and find that sense of purpose and belonging again. And for a lot of people, that's helping other veterans. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's kind of my two cents. And that, so
0: what that's one thing that I've noticed in this job, like, I've, I've come across a lot of, like, homeless veterans or veterans with mental health disorders that aren't being addressed or substance abuse disorders that aren't are being addressed. You know, I've, I've paid for a homeless guy's hotel before, I, you know, like, come on, bro- brother, you got to get this shit together. And it sucks seeing those people and you can't help them. But the biggest thing is they got to they got to want the help. You know,
1: well, yeah, you have to want to help yourself because no matter what anybody else does for you, unless you see a problem with it and know that you need to change in yourself, then it's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, and, and I think you've seen that with—I'm uh, not—I'm not going to say any names, but you know, somebody's brother that we we've dealt with. Yes, of course. And and I'm hoping he's getting his life on the right track and you know making those big moves, but I—you you, you, gotta, know, you yeah. gotta be willing to do it
1: yeah and you know i've i've seen him get better and get worse uh, 15 times you know and yeah people people say it was after a certain point that 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 had started that was which i thought but apparently before that it, it was it was going on too and you know i just i don't know some people just are, are doomed to go down that path and they just can't make good decisions and you know, I mean, the support's there, dude. The VA sucks, but they will help you. Yep. You just might have to wait a little bit. You know, there there is support, and you know, we're all here. All they got to do is re- pick up the phone, reach out to somebody, talk to somebody. Absolutely. You know, and, but right. if you're just giving, if you're just given a fat check from the government every month, and and you do dope, and and you don't have any oversight, then you're gonna
0: fucking fall apart. So, and that's one thing I want to bring up. So, I had a, a marine. He was uh, in my little sister's grade, and when I was on recruiter's assistance, I uh, got him into the Marine Corps, you know, went to his house, talked to his parents. You know, I knew him. I grew up in a small town. So anyways, I'm out of the Marine Corps. He comes back, and he was in uh, LAR, and he he had dealt with some shit, dude, get people getting blown up and stuff like that. And anyways, he gets in a shootout with the cops and gets shot down on Main Street in town, and... He had reached out to try to talk to some people and none of us answered the phone. And I regret that to this day. Answer the fucking phone. Like, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm going to answer the phone after that. Yeah. It's a shitty thing. Don't beat yourself up about it, about not answering it. Cause, you know, like I said, w- what if it, what if you did and you made the situation worse, you know? But. Right. Be there for somebody, at least give them that option. So out here, we got a, a nonprofit I used to do some work for, Operation Black Hills Cabin, where they give you a free vacation out here. They have a, a whole cabin that you get for free. All the stuff is paid for out here. Come out, have a vacation with your family and just, you know, reconnect and and try to do some healing out here. So if any veterans out there are interested in something like that, that Operation Black Hills Cabin, that's a good thing. Get out here and just kind of unwind and relax and not worry about how much it costs and stuff like that.
1: That's pretty badass, man. I've been talking to a couple guys. I I would like to start getting more involved with the nonprofit side and Hopefully, I'm going to have some people on here to talk from that represent some of those organizations and kind of spread the word of what they're doing and what they offer and, and try to get, you know, information out to our platform and to, and to veterans. Like there, there's there there's resources out there. You might have to do a little bit of work to get to them, but they're definitely there. And um, that's kind of the next phase that I'm going to start moving into is trying to to reach out to those organizations, tell them who I am, well, what I do, and try to get them to come on so that we could start spreading that kind of word. Absolutely, dude. That's awesome. What's uh, two things, words of advice to, to people listening and if they're
0: struggling? Give, give them two, two little spiels real quick. Uh, my two things would be find someone to talk to is the biggest thing. It doesn't matter if it's your freaking dog, find somebody to talk to and just vent, let it out. And the second thing would be, we're all still here. You know, the brotherhood never left. We're just more spread out. Just like now, dude. When was the last time we talked, dude? 2010. Yeah. And, I mean, talk, like talk, talked. Yeah. And we pick up and we're right back where we were.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. That's with any of us. Like just good, good friend, true friendships, true relationships. There there doesn't matter how long you go without talking to people. You just pick up right where you left off
0: and, and that's it. The brotherhood's still there. Like you, just gotta pick up the phone and call.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I get a little pissy with people because they won't answer my messages for days and days and you know, they're busy. And I'm like, dude, I work three, four jobs. Yeah. You know, I I had a working dog that I would train every single day. I'm about to get a puppy. I go to the gym. I do a podcast. But if you fucking text me or message me, I'm gonna respond within a minute. You know, so I don't wanna hear this I'm um, busy bullshit because you know, unless you're somewhere that doesn't have phone service for 24 hours a day, you know, th- I yeah. don't really see the excuse. But you know, it is what it is. People are different, and I got to learn to just fucking deal with that. But that that kind of is a pet peeve to me.
0: I get you. I get you.
1: Well, I think we're kind of getting to a good stopping point here. Why don't you tell everybody what you're doing these days? And um, yeah, it's pretty much it. I don't want to have you give your personal email or any of that information out. So just kind of give us a. Closing uh, a statement here about what you're doing, where your life's going, what, what some goals are, and what the future looks like for you.
0: Yeah. So, like I said, man, the whole time, my whole life, I've always wanted to be a Marine. And after that, it's kind of just been, yeah, uh, whatever. Now that I'm in law enforcement, I finally found a career that I enjoy, you know, out there helping people and try not to be that dickhead cop who's writing you traffic tickets for every little thing. I'm pretty laid back. So do that. I do EMT on an ambulance. Enjoying time with my family, dude. That's the biggest thing. Is in the Marine Corps we didn't have a lot of time with our families and friends. And now I can do that every day. I freaking love it.
1: Hell yeah. Well, dude, uh, thanks for coming on here, man, and sharing your story. And definitely reach Absolutely. out to your pops and, and brothers and other people that you know and dogs of war podcast at gmail.com. Have them send me a message there. Tell them, yeah. tell me who they are and I, I would love to have have them on and have them tell their story, but um, you got my contact info if you ever need anything. I'm a phone call away, and same thing for you. And tell your family I said hello and stay safe and uh, keep on fighting the good fight, brother.
0: Absolutely, brother. Separate fi. Fi. Later. to the dogs of war.